Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. You're listening to David Proson, LPCC, counselor and speaker, giving a talk entitled Same-Sex Attraction, A Catholic, Professional, and Personal Perspective. Mr. Proson's talk was part of the Student Life Featured Speaker Series at Franciscan University of Steubenville. As Catholics, we are told that we must embrace all the teachings of the church. We cannot pick and choose what we want to believe. After all, picking and choosing what we want to believe does not in any way change the truth. We are not in control of the truth. Truth is truth. It doesn't matter if we like it, if we dislike it, it doesn't even matter if we don't understand it. We cannot change it. The church in her divine wisdom and authority passed on by Jesus Christ himself defines what is morally right and wrong. Culture does not change that. Even if it doesn't make any sense. And sometimes the truth doesn't make sense especially in regards to uh, topics like homosexuality. Maybe it's because right now, our culture doesn't make any sense. And if we look at this topic through the eyes of our culture, it won't make any sense. I hope to shed some light on the confusion of the topic of homosexuality as I invite you to look at this, not through the eyes of our culture, but instead through the eyes of our faith. Now our culture doesn't understand our faith because they are looking at us through their own eyes and own understanding. But our faith requires us to look through the eyes of our faith to what is objectively true. For example, the Holy Eucharist. We see the true presence of Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament. Our culture they would see a piece of bread. As you know, what the Roman Catholic Church teaches on homosexuality goes against the tides of our culture. Those who believe that the acts of homosexuality are a sin are seen as prejudiced, bigots, uh, religious nuts who need to get with it to the times. But it's because, um, it's because the culture is looking through its own eyes that our actions and our words are being mis misinterpreted. We are being compared to hate groups such as the horrible Westboro Baptist Church. I'm sure you've heard of them. They picket funerals with signs that say, God hates fags. As a result, it is very common because of, of everyone kind of misunderstanding all this, it's very common to hear people say the Roman Catholic Church hates gays and lesbians. This is so far from the truth. And I'm going to explain this later. Now what you are going to hear from me today will go against what you hear in the media. However, this message is in line with church teaching. And I'm going to explore possible causes. The church has made no stance on the causes and in fact, uh, states in paragraph 2357 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, quote, 
Its psychological genesis remains largely unexplained, end quote. Now this does not mean that the church believes that God made people this way, nor does it mean that there are no psychological factors. So, although the church has not made a stance on the causes at this point, I will explore the possible causes, whether healing of any kind is possible, and the science behind these. What you hear from me today will not contradict church teaching. The culture does contradict church teaching. And we hear this when the culture says, people are born gay because God intends for this to happen and sees it as good. Gays and lesbians must accept this as an identity. There are no options and chastity, especially celibacy, is impossible to obtain and only causes shame, depression, and damage to the human person. All of this obviously contradicts church teaching, which you hear from me today will not. We are living in very scary times, and it's as if we are more than halfway down the, the first hill of a mega roller coaster. And we're gaining more momentum and speed as we rush towards the bottom in a confusing haze. As this happens, culture rapidly changes and our religious freedom is disappearing. About four months ago, when I last gave this talk in, in New York, actually, there were only 19 states at the time that recognized gay and lesbian marriages. It's now currently 36, four months. Today, almost every show has at least one gay or lesbian character. That's not the problem. I think it, it could be good. The problem is all of the messages that are shown with these characters. Same-sex attraction is a type of person, is no different from skin color or nationality, is created this way by God, and those with same-sex attraction must embrace this as an identity. There are no other options. The American Counseling Association, the National Association of Social Workers, and the American Psychological Association have all advocated for years that therapy in a way that is not gay affirmative may be harmful since it was removed from the DSM in 1973 and no longer seen as a disorder. Now I'm gonna come back to this a little bit later. California, New Jersey, and now DC have all passed laws that now make it illegal for minors with unwanted same-sex attraction to receive therapy that isn't gay-affirming. Minors in these states with unwanted same-sex attraction who um, will, cannot receive any help on this, even if it's just to live chastely, because encouraging one, encouraging one to live chastely is not gay-affirming because that has shame and guilt. The news is filled with stories of Christian business owners that are being sued because they refuse to provide business services at same-sex weddings. It will not stop here as we continue to soar down this roller coaster at top speeds. As decisions like this and those above continue to be made, we are losing our religious freedom.
We are living in a time where there appears to be no moral truths. What's good appears bad. What's bad appears good. The key word here is appears. The church tells us that there is an objective truth and what is morally wrong is morally wrong. Today's society tells us that homosexuality is good and it even appears to be. If someone never chose to be gay, never asked for it, well, then God must have made them this way. And if, if that's true, then it must be okay, right? This shows you the confusion that we're having right now. In addition to that, most of us in this room probably know some very good, loving individuals who identify themselves as gay or lesbian. Some of them are in long-term relationships that appear healthy, and some have adopted kids that nobody wants, such as HIV positive, and they're giving love to these children. How could all of this be wrong? They didn't choose this attraction, and this is true for most people. Why would God create them this way and then call it an abomination? Why would, how could God say love is an abomination? After all, God is love. Once again, before I begin, I invite you to look at this topic through the eyes of our faith to what is objectively true. Now this talk is gonna be divided into sections. And each section could be a two hour talk in itself. We're not gonna do that. My goal is to inspire you to read more on your own. And I created a resource list that's there in the back on green sheets. It's filled with scripture references, catechism uh, of the Catholic Church references, church documents, recommended reading, and a whole lot more. For those of you that are watching this at home, you can also get a copy of this by going to uh, my website, which is www.davidproson.com. That's D-A-V-I-D, P is in Paul, R-O, S is in Sam, E, N is in Nancy, .com. So, tonight, first, I'm gonna briefly give you an overview of what we know about the causes of homosexuality, and then we're gonna discuss the, the possibility of healing. Next, I'm gonna briefly discuss the church teaching and how do we love and not condone the sin. Next, we're going to watch the movie The Third Way, which includes parts of my testimony. After the movie, I will share just a few highlights of what God has done in my life that are not in that movie. And then finally, we're gonna have question and answers. Please hold your questions to the end. And I do wanna mention, um, sometimes people have asked me if they can record parts and stuff, and I, that's okay, but when we get to the movie, do not record the movie. I do have permission to show the movie. I do have a written paper that gives me permission to show it in front of audiences. But do not, do not record the movie. You can always watch it online for free and it is listed on the resource list for you. Okay, so let's take a look at the causes. As mentioned, the American Psychological Association removed homosexuality from its list of psychiatric illnesses in 1973. Many activists refer to this as proof that people are born this way. In Politics of Truth, 
Jeffrey Satinover writes in detail how this removal from the DSM was driven from, by politics and not science. I encourage you to read it on your own. Also, in an article in the Catholic Register dated June of 2013, it spoke of the previous American Psychological Association president, Dr. Nicholas Cummings. Dr. Cummings said that the APA, quote, has been hijacked by gay and lesbian right activists. He spoke of witnessing hundreds of people change and stated that this view that all homosexuality is hardwired and can never be changed is simply not supported by scientific evidence. There is no biological proof that homosexuality is inherited. And there's been many studies done, but none of them are valid. And I remember when the cover of a major magazine uh, had stated possible gay gene found, when, uh, when it was at, shortly afterwards proven to be invalid, they did not put that on the cover. So as a result, many people for years and even now still think that, um, that there is a gay gene. There was also another study recently done that was similar to that one last year. And again, that is being very heavily critiqued as being invalid. The following is from an article called Gay Born That Way, found at, at www.narth.com. Eight major studies show that one is not born gay. These eight studies all looked at the likelihood of both identical twins having same-sex attraction. In order for it to be genetic, it must be 100%. However, the likelihood of both identical twins experiencing same-sex attraction was not 100. It was 11% for men and 14% for women. Dr. Neil Whitehead, who had worked for the New Zealand government as a scientific uh, researcher for 24 years and has a PhD biochemistry and statistics, said this about these newer studies. Quote, because identical twins are always genetically identical, homosexuality cannot be genetically dictated. No one is born gay. The predominant things that create homosexuality in one identical twin and not the other have to be post-birth factors. In an article by Jeffrey Satinover, he also reports that there is no gay gene. And he pointed out something else. But first, allow me to use this very cool analogy. I love this. The basketball player gene. There is no basketball player gene, right? Right, there is none. But there are genes out there that determine height, weight, muscle strength, um, metabolism, and many more attributes that can help a person if he or she becomes a basketball player. Satinover discusses that likewise, there is no gene that causes or determines homosexuality, but there are genes that can determine attributes such as temperaments, that if combined with certain factors in the environment, may make it more likely that the individual will have same-sex attraction, but are not the causes. An example of the type of temperament I am referring to is a boy who is being sensitive or artistic. 
Now, we have seen there is no genetic uh, cause to homosexuality. There may be some traits that could in some way influence the person, but are not the causes. So what are these environmental factors that if combined with attributes might cause homosexuality? Much of the following comes from the Catholic Medical Association booklet called Homosexuality and Hope, which gathered a lot of the information that we have, and it is listed on the resource list. Please keep in mind that each individual is different, and because of this, they experience same-sex attraction for different reasons. There were many patterns found. Those with same-sex attraction may have one or more of the following. For males, a weak masculine identity from lack of male peer acceptance. Mother perceived as overly dependent on him, controlling or demanding. And the key word here is perceived. For females, mother emotionally unavailable. Mother perceived as weak. Father deserted the family. Important males in their life traumatized them. Common for both males and females. Father perceived as distant, critical, selfish, angry, or an alcoholic. Now there's a difference in how males and females will, will um, react to this perception of their father. For males, if they perceive their father in this way, then they may receive a lack of positive affirmation in their own masculinity. For females, if they perceive their father in this way, their very first male relationship, well, this can be projected onto all or many men. Other factors common for both male and female. Sexual abuse or rape. Failure to identify with and establish uh, friendships with same-sex peers and to embrace one's own masculinity or femininity. Poor body image is a factor. Those who went through physical changes too early or the late bloomers. Those who are too fat, those who are too thin. Those who have physical disabilities. Those who perceive themselves as being ugly. All of these can cause poor body image wounds. Another factor is our culture. I believe that most people at one point in their life might have questioned, oh my gosh, am I? And maybe it was a minute, and maybe it was two minutes, or maybe it was a day, or maybe it was a week, or a month, or a year. Chances are, though, it probably happened during that really horrible time in our lives Puberty. I'm so grateful I don't have to go through that again. The body is changing. All these things are happening in puberty. So it's so common for there to be confusion. The problem is, in our culture right now, let's say little Johnny is like, oh my gosh, what is this? And for a week now is thinking, am I in love with my best friend? If he goes to the guidance counselor at school, guess what the guidance counselor is going to tell him? He's gonna tell him, oh, it just means that you're gay, it's okay. No, 
It doesn't. There's a lot of confusion going on. Everything's happening in the, in the body during puberty. Another new factor is pornography. And I know someone who had opposite sex attraction, uh, started with uh, Playboy, then it went to Penthouse, and then it went to more and more and more and more deeper things. He said that the pornography addiction was, it, it was a fix. And he kept getting bored with what he was looking at, and he kept wanting more and more. Well, he eventually stumbled upon gay porn, and then he began to obsess on it. And then he began to really want to do it, and then he began to do it, and then he began to uh, call himself gay. He is now, uh, has been chased for, for a number of years, and he has been called to the sacrament of marriage. Praise God, there is hope. And we're gonna get to that in a little bit. Along the same lines, pornography. There are porno films on every possible topic that you can imagine. And I have met men that have watched something just because they were curious, even though the topic really made them sick and, and it was like, ugh, and they would watch it anyway. And you know what? This is actually part of our, our it's very human in our, in our fallen nature. Think about it. How many times have we been on the highway and we're two hours two hours traffic jam, only to find out that there was an accident on the oncoming lane, and everyone has to look, oh my gosh, I don't wanna see, I don't wanna see, but what, oh, I gotta see. I gotta see, but I don't wanna see. That's part of our human nature, our fallen human nature. So, let's say, for example, uh, Tom, he puts a quarter or whatever it is into the, the machine at some porno place uh, to watch a movie dealing with bestiality because he's really, really curious, even though it's like, ugh, but he wants, he just, what? I can't even imagine that they do this. Let me see. So he puts the money in. The very first thing that happens is he feels sick, he feels nauseous, and he feels disgusted but also chances are at the very same time that he is feeling sick and disgusted, he may be having pleasant physical reactions in his body, such as tingles. Now, Tom leaves the movie out of disgust, but he can't get those images out of his mind. He begins to worry that he's secretly into animals now, if he believes that he's into animals, then he's believing a lie. His first reaction was of disgust and repulsion. His body was reacting to evil and telling him to get away. But then, because it was of sexual nature, his body began to experience sexual sensations the longer he was exposed to it. We are biological sexual beings. This is the way we are created. We are going to experience pleasant sexual tingles and other feelings. This is what God intended for us. These pleasant feelings are natural, normal, beautiful, and meant to bring a man and woman in the sacred bonds of marriage together for the purpose of procreation and to express their love in a profoundly intimate way. 
God intended this for us. He didn't intend for us to dabble in pornography or sexual acts outside of marriage. So these, these sexual tingle feelings or arousals do not define who we are, nor do they serve as barometers, letting us know what type of sexual thing we're into. Again, these feelings are intended for us to be, to be used in the sacred bonds of marriage between a man and a woman. Now back to Tom. If he continues to worry that he's into animals, the worry will increase. And soon he'll be consumed with fear. And the more this continues, the more likely he'll be talking himself into identifying with this lie. And if he watches a porn on this topic again, it will further sexualize something that actually made him sick at first. This is important because every image, every fantasy, every act will further sexualize something that wasn't sexual in the first place. But if after that very first film, he, one, confesses it in the sacrament of reconciliation. Two, doesn't let this action define who he is. And three, when that image comes up each and every time, give it to God. If he does this, he'll more than likely be okay. I bring this up because, as you know, something has happened in our culture very, very quickly. And it's, it's as I mentioned at the beginning, it's not stopping. It is so common now to turn on the TV and see two individuals of the same sex intimately kissing and embracing in your favorite regular TV show. Commercials. All of this is happening now. So someone might worry that their sexual tingles while watching this happen on their very favorite TV show is proof that, that they might have same-sex attraction. This worry can cause them to believe something that simply isn't true. As I mentioned earlier, this is especially true among those experiencing the confusion of puberty. I want to address one more thing before I go any farther. As we all know, men and women are, are made differently. We are, we're made differently, we think differently, we act differently. Speaking generally, men tend to be more sexual and women tend to be more emotional. And again, I'm speaking generally. Research shows that gay men tend to be more promiscuous. Again, it doesn't mean that every gay man is promiscuous, but many active in the gay life tend to be. Robert R. Riley compiled much of this research in his book, Making Gay Okay. Check it out for yourself. On the other hand, lesbian women tend to be in long-term relationships much longer than gay men. However, Janelle Holman spoke of there being much dysfunction, including emotional dependency, enmeshment, and loss of self. Again, this is speaking generally. There's one more argument used to prove that people are born this way. Many men and women report that they felt attracted ever since they can remember. And I experienced this as well. I accepted this as proof that I was born this way because that attraction was there way before I even knew what sex was. So for me, to me, that was proof 
that I was born this way. But there are other factors that, that explain this, uh, that explain the reasons for those feelings. It is normal and healthy for boys and girls to, to admire others, to have heroes, or to have someone to aspire to be. However, for many with same-sex attraction, as children, it went from admiration to coveting of physical and or traits associated with that gender. Many of these kids experience an intense shame and self-pity mixed in with the coveting of those traits. For example, I used to think, if only I looked like him, if only I was strong like him, if only I was athletic like him, then I would fit in, I would belong, and I wouldn't be so alone. In puberty, this coveting of traits for many becomes sexualized. Now, I often hear the question, are people born that way or do they choose the attraction? There are, these are two separate questions and the answer to both is no. We saw there is no gay gene. Now, let's look at the other question. Do people choose the attraction? No. They can choose if they will act on the attraction or choose if they will accept this as an identity, but they do not choose what gender they will be attracted to. I assume that most of the people in this room experience opposite sex attraction. Imagine what you might feel if you woke up tomorrow and it was all over the news that the church changed her position and becoming romantically involved with the opposite sex is sinful and the consequences are hell. Now, we know this will never ever happen, but humor me for a moment. Let's suppose, let's just pretend for a moment that it did, that the church changed her position and that uh, becoming sexually intimate even in marriage with the opposite sex is sinful and consequences are hell. What would you, what would you feel? What emotion would you experience? What would you think? Would you believe that you had choices? Based on everything you know about who you are, do you believe that you could force yourself to be attracted to the same gender? If we are to help those with same-sex attraction come to the fullness of truth in Jesus Christ, we must act out of compassion. Men and women with same-sex attraction did not ask for or choose this experience. So as I said, the answers to these two questions, does one choose to be gay and are people born this way, are both no but they're often placed into one question. And when this happens, the assumption is that one answer is yes and one answer is no. And it's only logical that when these two particular questions are combined into one, the question that ultimately wins is, one does not choose to be gay. So when asked the question, does one choose to be gay or are they born this way, the one that wins is one does not choose, which makes the assumption that one is born this way. 
Now we have seen there, are, there may be a combination of environmental and predispositions, but one is not born this way. Many Catholics and Christians refer to homosexuality as same-sex attraction, using words such as gay, lesbian, or even homosexual are labels and they insinuate an identity. And there are some Catholics that have identified themselves as gay or lesbian and are living chaste lives. I think it's great and they are living, you know, I think it's great they are living a chaste life and praise God. The Lord may be using these individuals to bring others back home to the Catholic Church. But I do disagree in the concept of same-sex attraction being an identity. Although homosexuality has been around for thousands of years, it was never seen as an identity until fairly recently. In fact, the term homosexuality was created in the 19th century. Prior to this, homosexuality was only seen as a behavior, not a type of person. Now there are some dangers in claiming this as an identity. First of all, it's a lie. One is not a same-sex attraction. One experiences same-sex attraction. Mettinger, in Same-Sex Attraction, a Parent's Guide, writes that if an individual accepts this as an identity, a number of beliefs which are untruths tend to follow this. I must have been born this, this way. Well, if I was born this way, then God made me this way. But if God made me this way, well then how could there be anything wrong with it? It's in my nature, and I must be true to my nature. Well, if it's my nature, I can't change. And if I try to change, then I would be trying to go against my nature, and that would be harmful. Accepting myself as gay feels so good. I feel like a thousand pound load has been lifted off my back. So it must be okay. If people can't accept my being gay, then something's wrong with them. If people can't accept my being gay, then they don't accept me because that's who I am. When I read these, I was floored because I believed every single one of these deep down within my own core. And it made it very difficult for me to see the truth. Can people obtain healing from unwanted same-sex attractions? We have seen miracles happen every day in the media. We, we have seen people survive horrendous attacks. We have witnessed parents forgiving the murderer of their child. We all probably know people who have been healed of cancer. Why is it that we think God would bring healing and miracles to us regarding everything except that? especially when his sacred word tells us that the act is a sin. There are studies out there that do show that there are individuals who have eliminated or reduced same-sex attractions. The problem is they're heavily critiqued by activists because healing or change is difficult to measure and can only be sub obtained subjectively by self-reports and during interviews. But it doesn't erase the fact that there are many studies documenting the stories of those who have received some healing. 
The People Can Change blog has an article that gathered all the studies done over the 40 years, the past 40 years, with the most recent being 2007. Over 40% of the subjects in these studies reported some sort of shift or change in the attraction. The media tells you nobody can change. Not true. Now there are a couple different approaches in therapy for those with unwanted same-sex attraction. The secular view, which is quickly becoming really the only acceptable form of therapy um, is called uh, for this, is gay affirmative therapy. Someone who complains of having unwanted, unwanted same-sex attraction is seen as going through the normal stage of the coming out process. The therapist helps them come to terms with their homosexuality. For a person to get help with unwanted same-sex attraction, again, unwanted same-sex attraction, they need, for the most part, to seek either a Christian Catholic counselor or other counselors that support other similar approaches. It comes down to this. When a person has values and beliefs that homosexuality is wrong and has the thoughts or acts out, there is incongruence, right? It's wrong, but I can't stop thinking about it. But it's wrong, my faith tells me it's wrong, it's a sin, but now I just fell, I can't stop. But, I, right, it's a, there's an um, incongruence here, there's no balance, right? The gay affirmative therapist helps the individual change the core values and beliefs to match the thoughts and behaviors. An example of this, would be the therapist to say to the client, you can still be gay and Catholic. You know, there are scholars now that are now saying that it's not the scripture that, contain, that contends the acts, it's the interpretations of the scripture that condemns the acts. Now, if that person believes that and accepts it, well, as you can see from the slide, right, there's a balance, right? but it's such a high cost. The person's values and beliefs were changed. Now, most Christian counselors do the opposite. They help change the unwanted same-sex thoughts and behaviors to match the core values and beliefs. And when the therapist can do that, there's balance, and not at that high cost. In fact, many Christian counselors might even strengthen the client's values and beliefs. Now the secular field, including the National Association of Social Workers, the American Counseling, Associ the American Counseling Association, both of them have made statements that helping a client with unwanted same-sex attractions in a way that's not gay-affirming is unethical. However, the code of ethics for social workers and for counselors both stress the importance of not pushing our values and beliefs on others. Those who want help with unwanted same-sex attraction are 
entitled to that help. And if they are told that they must accept themselves, then they are having the values and beliefs of others pushed on them. And I'm sorry, that is very unethical. So, what options does one have if experiencing unwanted same-sex attraction? Now, I'm gonna simplify this as best as I can and, and just sum it up into two possibilities, okay? SOCI, which stands for Sexual Orientation Change Efforts, and the other, which I'm just gonna call Regular Christian Catholic Therapy. SOCI is the new umbrella term that covers reparative, reorientation, conversion, there's all kinds of names for it. Changing one's orientation is not easy, and it is not for everyone. The longer someone has been involved in by acting out sexually or watching pornography, the harder it's gonna be for healing. Those images and memories are stored in the mind. However, with God, all things are possible. And keep in mind what I said about the gay identity, it's false. Soci is not about taking a person, you know, taking a person apart and putting them back together again. Despite what you have heard from the media, legitimate therapists of today that practice SOCI do not use shock treatment and other harmful forms of treatment. Actually, in most cases, it's not different from regular therapy. It's about shining truth and insight into the lies about the self that the individual believed. It's about bringing healing to past wounds. Now, my experience shows me that people can experience a decrease in same-sex attraction fantasies, and desires. Once they start facing and working through their wounds, this can happen in regular therapy. It doesn't have to be a soci type of, of therapy. So yes, regular therapy is another option. And as I stated, there really isn't much difference except the goals or the focus. There are people who don't want affirmative therapy and people that don't want to change orientations but they want freedom or healing from the attractions that is to say they want to live a chaste life and they want to reduce the power that the attractions have over them and for most of these individuals obtaining chastity requires healing of past wounds or healing of false beliefs about the self. As stated, this can happen in regular therapy, but it needs to be with a therapist who is going to authentically accept the person's values and beliefs. And I saw something in which some, uh, someone mentioned that I claimed I was cured. I have never claimed this, but I have claimed and experienced much healing, and you're gonna hear about this later. I prefer to use the word healing rather than being cured. Many have said to me, I believe people are born this way because I don't know anyone whose same-sex attraction has been completely taken away 100%. I have a theory. I believe we all have same-sex attraction. Not sexually. We are attracted to people. We need people, we like people, we need friends, we like our friends. 
we tend to gravitate towards that which we are attracted to. Again, I don't mean sexually. But maybe I like that my friend possesses a strong virtue of courage. Or maybe I'm attracted to this person's sense of humor or their compassion or their smile. Or maybe it's the way I can see Jesus in that person's eyes. It is completely natural to be attracted to people. And this does include the same sex. We don't want to be friends with those that we find unattractive. Think about it. Who wants to be friends with someone who's seen as lazy, selfish, gossipy, smelly, mean, hostile, vulgar, a murderer, a liar, a cheat? Now, obviously, we are all called to love people. And I'm not saying, oh, don't be friends with these people. No, that's not what we're talking about. We, and also, we may very well have some friends like that, right? And, and there might be someone that is friends with someone in prison for murder, all right? What I'm talking about is the attraction. Many people, including myself, look for friends who are loyal and honest. We are naturally attracted to the good. I don't know anyone whose criteria for a best friend is a murderer or a liar. I, I don't know that. So let's say Bob is in therapy for unwanted same-sex attraction. And in this therapy, he learned for himself that this attraction to men is not really sexual, but became sexualized in puberty. Each sexual experience, each pornographic image that he put in his mind helped further sexualize this attraction, which, remember, wasn't sexual in the first place. The dangerous thing about sex outside of marriage and pornography is that these images are, are burned in our memories until we are made perfect in, in heaven. Now, even though Bob has received much healing, when he sees a good-looking man, he may need to reframe his thinking and remind himself of the truth, that it isn't about sex. Maybe for Bob, it's about body image issues. And when Bob is having a, a stressful day, it may take more energy to stop the negative self-talk, stop comparing himself to other men, and accept himself for who he is as a man and as a man who has what it takes. If he does this, the sexual charge will more than likely diminish, since for him, it really wasn't sexual in the first place. Now, it may be more difficult for him to reframe it on days, but it can happen, and, and it does. This is healing. And I believe that is the reason why, that we don't know many who have had the attraction go away 100%. Everyone is attracted to people, and for the one struggling with eroticized same-sex attraction, he or she is going to need to reframe it in his or her mind and look at the truth of the attraction. It can and does happen. So remember, we are all individuals, and because of this, we can receive healings in different ways. And as we have seen, healing happens but it needs to be seen on a continuum. Some have developed 
opposite sex attractions and have been called to the sacrament of marriage and live happy and meaningful lives. That is healing. Others have been called to and are living fulfilling chaste lives as a single man or woman, even after living an active gay or lesbian life. This is healing. Still others have eliminated or decreased fantasies, sexual acting out, and other unhealthy behaviors that were present in their life when they were acting out, such as substance addictions or codependency. All of this is healing. With God, all things are possible. Scripture doesn't say some things are possible. It says all things are possible. Yes, even that. All right, so now we're done with the first section. So everybody stand up for a second. I know it's a lot of information that you're getting. So just kind of stretch for a moment. This next section is gonna be about 20 minutes. And then, um, and then we're gonna take a, just a few minute break after that. Uh, for anyone who, who needs to use a facility, um, and then we're gonna watch the film. So, all right, stretch, okay. Ready for 20 more minutes? About, don't hold me to that, it might go a little longer. <laughs> all right. Actually, let me just get a sip here. Okay, so now we're gonna look at the teachings of the church. The church is not asking those with same-sex attraction to do anything different from others. The church calls all of us to chastity. From the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2357 states, tradition has always declared that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered under no circumstances can they be approved. Now, some people in our society state that the Catholic Church hates homosexuals and sees comments from the catechism like this one that I just read as homophobic or spiteful. But is it? What else does the catechism say? I didn't find homophobia. I didn't find hate or spite. I found three things. First, I found truth. Second, I found love. Third, I found hope. Now, I, I'm gonna just share a little bit of it with you. I encourage you to read it on your own, which is on that resource list. Paragraph 2358 states, quote, the number of men and women who have deep-seated homosexual tendencies is not negligible. This inclination, which is objectively disordered, constitutes for, for most of them a trial. Truth. They must be ex accepted with respect compassion and sensitivity. Every sign of unjust discrimination in their regard should be avoided. Love. The catechism takes it further. Homosexual persons are called to chastity by the virtues of self-mastery that teach them inner freedom, at times by the support of disinterested friendship, by prayer and sacramental grace. And here's the best part. They can and should gradually and resolutely approach Christian perfection. Hope, 
All of this is real hope, real love, real truth. Now I want to go back and I want to address one of these quotes in the catechism that I just read. This inclination, which is objectively disordered, constitutes for most of them a trial. There has been much confusion and misinterpretation on this sentence. What exactly does the church mean by the inclination being objectively disordered? We find the answers actually in a document written in 2006, the year I graduated from Franciscan, um, and it's from a document by the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and it's entitled, Ministry to Persons with a Homosexual Inclination, Guidelines for Pastoral Care. Now, I wanna read to you some excerpts so that you can hear exactly what the USCCB, what they're saying is meant by objectively disordered. Quote, the homosexual inclination is objectively disordered, i.e., it is an inclination that predisposes one toward what is truly not good for the human person. Of course, heterosexual persons not uncommonly have disordered sexual inclinations as well. It is not enough for a sexual inclination to be heterosexual for it to be properly ordered. For example, any tendency toward sexual pleasure that is not subordinated to the greater goods of love and marriage is disordered, in that it inclines a person towards a use of sexuality that does not accord with a divine plan for creation." End quote. Another quote. It is crucially important to understand that saying a person has a particular inclination that is disordered is not to say that the person as a whole is disordered. Nor does it mean that one has been rejected by God or the church. Nevertheless, while the particular inclination to homosexual acts is disordered, the person retains his or her intrinsic human dignity and value, end quote. It's so beautiful, and it really beautifully explains what's meant by this. And I'm sure you have been bombarded with questions. As Catholics, I'm seeing it on Facebook all the time, this whole thing. What does a Catholic church mean by objective disorder? This is beautiful. Check it out. It's on the resource list. Um, Get this document, look at it. We have awesome things in our church and in our faith. We need to use them, lots of treasures. And this is one of them. All right, so I have heard people, I've heard people ask, well, how could there be anything wrong with two people being in love? Now we can gain a better understanding of this by looking at JP2's Theology of the Body and exploring what truly is love. Love is a sincere gift of self. 
Now, Christopher West has written several books that explain theology of the body. And in doing so, he's made some very good points. In Good News About Sex and Marriage, he stated, quote, love is not whatever we want it to be. Love is not merely an intense feeling or the sharing of pleasure. Love is to live according to the image in which we're made. Love is to give ourselves away freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully in imitation of Christ. He spoke of both homosexual acts and masturbation as two examples that do not reflect true love. For the act to be an expression of true love, it must be free, total, faithful, and fruitful. Love never, love never does wrong or entices another to do so. This is another of his quotes. Members of the same sex who truly love each other will never seek to engage in erotic behavior with each other specifically because of their love. The act is not an act of love because it hurts both the other person and the self by treating each other as objects rather than whole, complete persons. Two people can still love each other, it's just that the act itself is not an act of love. Some people might think that one can still express an authentic love in a sexual act outside of marriage. And I've had some good Catholics um, who really believe in church teaching kind of argue with that. And so that's why I wanted to kind of include this. Again, I'm not saying that they don't love the other person. What I am saying is the act is not an act of love. How do we know this? 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. And here's the important, here's one of the important ones. It does not seek self-interest. Now, sacred scripture, tradition, and the magisterium of the church have really made it very clear that sex outside of marriage is of grave matter and is harmful to both individuals. If the act is out of love, then it wouldn't happen because it does not want to hurt the other. Now let me finish the scripture. In regards to love, it is not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. And here's another important one. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Again, all three have made it very clear that the sex that the act of sex outside of marriage is of grave matter. This is objective truth. We cannot say it is an expression of love because that would be celebrating wrongdoing. So allow me to finish this because I just love this scripture. It, love it. it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Now the church has responded to individuals with same-sex attraction and their families with hope, love, and truth by forming the Vatican-approved support groups of Courage and its sister group, Encourage. Courage is a spiritual support group for men and women with same-sex attraction who strive to follow the, the teachings of the church. The group was founded by Father John Harvey, um, the late Father John Harvey, over 25 years ago. 
Its sister group, Encourage, is for families and friends of individuals with same-sex attraction, and, and it's based on an Al-Anon approach. A while ago, I read to you Mettinger's list of untruths that tend to follow when a person takes on same-sex attraction as an identity. I believe this concept of a gay identity has made its way into our church and has negatively affected us in at least two ways. One, there are those within the church who are seeking to change the church. These groups are found in many, many dioceses across our country, and they do offer support and programs that do contradict church teaching. A second way that I see that, that's happened with the uh, people who have embraced this as an identity, there are faithful priests religious and leaders in the church who have accepted this concept that same-sex attraction is an identity. And they don't encourage those struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction to seek help because it's said to be harmful and that people can't change. You see, if we accept the idea that homosexuality is an identity, then the truth is chipped away further and further until we're left with nothing. What do I mean? If we accept the truth that homosexuality is an identity, then as Menninger points out, we are forced to accept other untruths to help make sense of this untruth. And a good example of this we see in gay theology. You know, there are scholars that are, for example, and I'm just gonna give this one, I'm sure you've heard all kinds of things, but there are scholars that are saying that, that King David and his very best friend Jonathan were lovers. There's a whole mess of stuff being said. Our identity isn't about what gender we are attracted to. Our identity is in Christ. We are men and women created in the image and likeness of God. That is our identity. We are children of the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. The church calls us to chastity. Each and every one of us it doesn't matter if we experience same-sex attraction, opposite-sex attraction, whether we're married, whether we're single, or whether we're in a relationship. It, it doesn't matter. All of us, all of us are called to chastity. Chastity is an important part of our identity in Christ. Chris Stefanik, in the film The Third Way, which we're going to see in a moment here, said this about chastity. It's not about saying no to pleasure or no to herpes and no to hell. It's about saying yes to one important thing. Yes to authentic love. Chastity is an important part of our identity. We are men and women who are children of the one living God who calls, him, who calls us to himself. Now, how do we love and not condone this sin? And this is tough. And chances are high that, that most people in this room have a loved one who experiences same-sex attraction. If you have a family member or a friend who is active in the homosexual culture, do not give up. Pray daily. My mother will attest for the, to the fact that God heard her prayers. And I believe that's the reason why I'm, I'm standing in front of you right now. It's my mom's prayers. And she's praying for us right now. 
And uh, another important thing that we can do is to love in truth. Christ is love. Christ is truth. We need to live as Christ, and this means we must love in truth. This is so hard, and frankly, I don't know how my mom did it. How does one love someone and not condone the sin? And I never questioned her love for me. We got in many, many arguments, okay? But I never questioned her love for me. I don't know how she did it, but she did. So we're gonna take a look at some of these possible things here. Much of the following has been written specifically for parents, but really it can be used for any loved one. When you first find out about your loved one, don't panic. The late Father Harvey spoke of this in the book, Same-Sex Attraction, A Parent's Guide. If you have strong feelings of anger or fear, be careful not to express them immediately. Your loved one needs to know that you love them no matter what. You know, you may have a myriad of emotions, such as sadness, anger, fear, guilt, worry, grief, much, much more. These are your feelings. Please don't stuff them. Express them, but not to your loved one at first. Instead, express them to God. Express them in your journal, a priest, your spouse, a friend. Get it out, you know, in those kind of ways, but not to your loved one. And know something, there's no quick fix here. It will take time. Know that when your loved one told you, it took much courage to tell you that. Honor their courage. Let them know how much you appreciate them sharing this very difficult revelation with you. Next point is real important. Listen. You don't have to have the answers. It's okay to say, you know what? I really don't know. I need time to think about it. Try to understand where they're coming from. What has this been like for them? How long have they felt this? What is their understanding of it? Bite your tongue, so to speak, and listen. You might feel more unpleasant emotions, okay? And you might wanna tell them what scripture has to say. This is not the time to preach, though. There is gonna be a time to plant some seeds, some seeds of truth later, right now, just be present, listen, and reassure them of your love. Be authentic. Now that you've listened and you sought to understand what your loved one is feeling and thinking, now it's okay to be honest with them. Let them know if you feel sad or if you're worried. But be sure to do so without judgment and without blame. Another point, arm yourself with the truth. Read what you can. And the Courage website is filled, filled with information. Another good resource is the North website. And there's a lot of stuff listed on that resource list for you. Read what you can, but do it for you. Now, you might be tempted to go to them. You might even be tempted to go to them tonight 
I just went to this talk for two and a half hours. Hopefully it won't be that long, but I went for this long talk and I learned all this information. I got all these books and, and now I went to the library and I have all the books and here's all the books and sit down because you and I have to have a, a talk because I'm worried about you. No, <laughs> please don't do that. Why? Because I think you all know if, we, if you do that, then the walls will go up and nothing will be heard. Your goal at this point is to understand this issue, this topic rather, this topic from a, a truthful perspective. That's, that's the goal here. So read for yourself so that you understand the truth. Another point, remain calm. Your loved one might want to discuss your disapproval, and, and I certainly did to my mom. Um, if you have discussions or debates, do not yell, even though your loved one uh, might. And I did that too. Remain calm, state your points regarding the behavior, show your affection afterwards, and give opportunity to discuss it in the future. And my mom actually, at one point I remember we got in this big discussion about me being able to bring someone to the family holiday dinner and, and I got very, very angry. And at one point it was going back and forth and she said, you know what, David, we need to either change the topic right now or we need to hang up and talk another time because I'm feeling very angry right now and I don't want to say something that I'm going to regret. I love that she did that. She was setting a limit and she was being real with me. And, and I don't remember what we did, but it worked. <laughs> okay, I don't remember if we actually hung up, but I never, again, I never questioned her love for me. Never. Love. I think the most important thing that you can do is love your loved one. That's your job, to love him or her. They need to find the love of Christ, and that may be through us. Loved, love your loved one and pray. Planting seeds. And part of loving is planting seeds. Love your loved one, pray, and plant seeds. I believe Loving, not condoning, and knowing the right seed to plant, all of this is an impossible job. I really do. That's hard. And again, I told you, I don't know how my mom did it. Actually, I do. See, it's not impossible for him. I think it's impossible for us. But all we gotta do is go to him, talk to him, tell him, look, I'm worried about my loved one. I don't know what to say. Use me, show me, show me, give me the wisdom I need. And he will. He'll bring about opportunities. But don't push those opportunities. Let him do it and pray. Pray. This is why I said before the importance of, of you reading and learning the truth. Because as you're here tonight, and as you go from here, and as you learn and continue to learn, you're storing a lot of stuff. Every time you read, all that stuff is being filed back here. It's all gonna be here. And you never know when the Lord's gonna say, okay, you know that one item on the left, third shelf in your mind there? That's the thing. I want you to say it right now. Put it in three words. Boom. 
You'll be like, what? But then you'll really feel, yeah, okay, and you say those three words, or maybe it's a sentence or two sentences. Please be careful, I wouldn't go any more than two sentences. <laughs> the more you talk, the more the walls will go up. But pray and ask God to show you, he will. Remember, it's not your job to, to change or fix your loved one. Your job is to love your loved one and plant the seeds. It's his job to provide the sunlight and the water. It's his job to bring healing, not yours. You just love and sparingly, very sparingly, plant your seeds as you feel called to. Now, if the loved one is involved in a relationship, uh, do you regularly visit the couple? Each situation is different for each family or person, and you need to discern what it is that God wants you to do. And some faithful Catholics have chosen to visit their loved ones and his or her partner, um, or to have them over for holiday dinners, and there are other people that have chosen not to do that. This is something you have to kind of figure out through prayer. Be aware, though, that whatever you decide, there could be some consequences here. For example, if you decide to have them over at a holiday dinner, one of the, the consequences could be younger children coming up and saying, who's that? So you need to know how are you going to handle all of this. Now, if you do choose to do this and allow them over for um, uh, a special occasion, a, a wedding or a family holiday dinner or whatever, and um, if you do choose to do it, make it clear that you do not condone any sexual behavior outside of the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman. And if you choose to allow them to stay the night, make sure it is in separate rooms. Also, this is very important. Treat others the same way who are heterosexual and not married. I highly recommend finding a priest that is solid in the faith and discern this with him because this is really tough stuff. There is no cookie cutter answer. I wish there was. There's not. Um, and as our culture continues to change, the more and more difficult these waters are getting to navigate. So you really need to discern this through prayer and find a good priest that you can, that you can really talk this through. More advice is offered from the book, Someone I Love is Gay. She says, quote, remember, your child's partner is not the enemy. He or she is someone God loves just as he loves your son or daughter. Jesus died for the redemption of both of them. She added, you might be the only view of Christianity this person ever sees. You can be an, an important influence on their eternal destiny. And then still more advice is from another book, Loving Homosexuals as Jesus Would by Chad Thompson. And he speaks of the healing power of touch. Many with same-sex attraction have said, uh, you know, have this because they don't feel affirmed. A pat on the back, a, a hand on the shoulder, hugs, these are all ways that do affirm others, and especially those with same-sex attraction. 
I'm going to address the guys for a moment that are here. Think about it. I mean, I see it here at Franciscan all the time, and it's awesome. It's great. Don't stop doing it. It's great. But when you probably don't even give it a second thought, do you? You just put your hand on someone's shoulder, you know, how you doing, or give them a hug. You don't even think about it. But let me tell you, the message is so powerful. The message says you belong. You fit in. I wouldn't have done that if I didn't think it. I also want to add, it's not just guys. I've had several women come up to me after these talks and say, you know, David, I also relate to that. I feel so, I feel so much better when, you know, I have, when, you know, the same kind of thing. I feel like I belong when another woman comes up and puts her arm on my, around my shoulder or gives me a hug. This is all affirming. And we need this. So we are now going to watch the film, The Third Way. And for those of you that are watching this at home, um, in a moment, there's going to be a screen that comes up, and there's going to be a website displayed where, in which you can uh, watch the movie as well. And I encourage you to stop this program right now and go ahead to that website and watch the movie and then come back and join us when we're done. And I'm going to have a few more thoughts that I want to share of some things that the Lord did in my life that weren't in the movie. And then we're going to do uh, some questions and answers. Because this was a movie focusing on chastity, a lot of this was kind of edited. There were some things that, were, that I had shared that were edited. And actually, it's in the, the bonus material or some stuff. But I just wanted to share with you some important things that the Lord did in my life. Um, the first thing I want to say is that um, I, I need to uh, tell you a little bit about the baseball stuff that I talked about in there. That happened when I came here. I came here in 2003 to get a degree. And um, while I was here, I met Catholic friends, and I, and I got involved with the grad non-trad, and, uh, and then developed some really good male Catholic friendships. And then I, I somehow mustered the courage to ask a couple of them to teach me how to throw, how to hit, and they did. And then I started, which this, I still can't believe I did this, on Sundays we just had an informal, an informal, um, uh, softball thing. That was so scary for me to do. Every week I'd be like, oh gosh, and I would bring back all these memories. But every time I went, I was facing my fears. And I was actually learning that, you know what, there really is a way to throw a ball. I didn't, you know, there's a way to hold a ball, you know? And so I learned all that and started getting confidence and started, started feeling good about who I was as a man. Also, there was something that happened at a grad non trad retreat that I want to share a little of that and then one more one more thing that the Lord had done. Um, so I went on this grad non trad retreat and uh, the men and women separated and us men heard a lecture from two guys about what it's like to be a Catholic man of God and and they were really macho men and and they were talking in terms of football and man a Catholic man of God is like we're taking the football and <laughs> I was sitting here, I was getting so angry. And this continued and continued. And at the time I smoked. So 
the rest of the retreat, I think I was outside smoking constantly because I didn't even want any part of anything else. And I finally got home and I'm like, God, why, why did I do this stupid thing? I could have worked on all those papers. No, I had to go to this retreat. And I was so angry. And then I started writing in my journal. And then what came out of that was so beautiful because that's when I realized that uh, all that, I had so much anger for, towards all those childhood peers of mine. That, were, that anger was still there. It never went anywhere. And I put it on anyone that I perceived as being really macho. And when they were talking like that, I was furious. And that's what it was. So through my, my journaling, I, I, I obtained some healing and some insight about that. And I was able to let go of some of that. In fact, Right after I got the insight, I go to Mass, and I'm down, I'm sitting in there, and I'm, I'm kneeling. I just walked into the church. I'm kneeling, and I'm praying before Mass, and I hear some noise coming in around next to me. I look, and there's guy number one walk, sitting right next to me. And I'm like, oh, very funny, God, very, very funny. <laughs> and then I realized it wasn't funny, because at that moment, it, it, just the, the words, uh, um, sign of peace, came to my mind. And I'm like, oh my gosh. That was probably the most powerful sign of peace I've ever had. Because it was an actual forgiving and letting go. So uh, one more thing I want to share. Um, probably the most profound healing I think I've ever received from God is a series of many things, but I can sum it all in this. I never saw myself as a man. I never saw myself as a woman, but I never saw myself as a man. I never saw myself as masculine. All of that stemming from all those hurts back then. And what the Lord started doing, and you heard a little of the story of the locker room stuff. What you didn't know was, because it was kind of cut a little bit, was that I was so terrified that I didn't participate in ninth grade gym, and as a result, failed, which was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. That would have been the last gym class I ever had to take in the height of puberty, and I was so terrified that people were gonna find out about me if I go in that locker room, that, that I, I didn't go. So I failed, and then I had to take it over again as a 10th grader with a bunch of 9th graders. They're going, oh, what's, what's with him? He failed, Jim? You know? Oh, it was horrible, horrible. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to face this. So I, I, I got dressed for Jim, but I refused to shower. I didn't care if I was going to stink. There was no way. And that was that. And then I had a life coach many, many years ago. I mean, years after, years after when the Lord was doing healing with me. And he, you know, I got involved in a gym and he kind of helped me to kind of look at that. And when I walked into the gym for the first time, I really, even though this sounds irrational, I thought they were gonna say, get out of here, you don't belong. Even though it makes no sense. All that's coming from my childhood though. And it felt so, I was so terrified to walk in there. So people are talking to me in the gym. And I'm like, what is it, you know? And, and that's when I learned 
And that was like one of the most profound things that the Lord did in my life, I believe, is show me that I do fit in with the world of men, that I do belong in that locker room. I am a man. And no one's gonna go, oh, you know, get out of here, what are you? No, I do belong in there. And that's what I'm so grateful for, is, is now knowing in my heart and in my mind that I am a man, that I'm a Catholic man of God. Thank you, God. Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.